Welcome to the Gym Heroes Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peacock. Today's show is brought to you by GymDesk, the easiest gym management software you'll ever use. Take payments, create marketing automations, track attendance, and much more. To try the software out free, go to gymdesk.com. No credit card or painful sales call required. Our hero today is Paul Meldrum, founder of Meldrum Performance Coaching. In this episode, Paul walks us through step-by-step how you can massively increase your revenue as a trainer or gym owner and amplify your client results through a process called client transformation. You don't want to miss this. Without further ado, Paul Meldrum. Welcome to the Gym Heroes podcast. Paul, can you introduce yourself to our audience and uh, give them a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. No problem. So, uh, name's Paul Meldrum. I've been a personal trainer for close to 20 years now. Uh, I started a very long time ago before online training was a thing. Uh, I did it when paper programming was an option. And, uh, when I started my career, I started off in a commercial gym facility. Within two years, I had won the national personal trainer year. Um, and I won the third year as well. So two years in a row, which is cool. Uh, from there, I then moved into private practice. So as a musculoskeletal therapist, which I was studying at the time. And then from having a private practice of musculoskeletal stuff, I realized that my clients still needed to train. Right. And so I basically doubled the size of the practice again, moved it into a gym slash like a one-on-one PT slash, uh, musculoskeletal practice, then moved again, got a business partner, doubled it. And then we opened up the first semi-private training facility in Australia, which we found out how it works from Alan Cosgrove from his book, uh, 50 Fitness Business Secrets, I think, a long time ago. So we were the first guys in our country to be doing that, which is really, really cool. And then from there, we basically built our gym up to personal training, 400 and something members, uh, doing about 12 to 1500 sessions a week, all PT, which is really, really fun. And then from the COVID thing, shut, shut everything down, uh, as it does for pretty much everyone all over the world. And now I'm an online coach and educator of personal trainers. I still do work with clients and I've worked with clients ranging from like Miss Universe, Miss Australia, Miss Universe, Miss World competitors, uh, winners from the Australian world, uh, about 12 or so Olympians, bunch of bodybuilders, physique competitors, uh, professional athletes in most sports and, uh, musical theater of all things. So a number of different experiences. So been doing this for a long time. So what I do, uh, better than most things I do. So my, my skill set is be able to take the lessons I learned from different things and then apply them into a framework which online coaches can use with general population clients. Excellent. So one of those things that you talked about before that I really wanted to get into is client transformation. So before we dig into that, what is client transformation so that my listeners understand what that, that process is? Cool. So my definition of client transformation is a little different from most people's. Uh, not that it's right or wrong or better or worse. It's just, it's just different. Okay. Um, so a lot of times I'll say things as well and it's not that I'm bagging out anything else. It's just that this is a little different approach. So client transformation for me is not just about the physical. Uh, it's not like, you know, how much fat you can lose in 28 days and get shredded or, you know, drop body weight. The transformation needs to be a complete package. It needs to involve training. It needs to involve nutrition, 
it needs to involve mindset. And basically, I've created a principle-based philosophy with three different components to each of them, which allows trainers to A, detail that transformation for their clients, B, execute it really, really effectively, and C, give the clients a framework to take the changes from their transformation and make it a permanent fixture. So there's, in my opinion, it's all great losing weight in 12 weeks. It's fantastic. I have no qualms or issues with someone losing 12, losing a ton of body fat in 12 weeks. What I don't want to see is in 12 weeks time, they're back to where they were. And I remember this really became solidified for me when I spoke to, I didn't speak to, sorry. I I knew, knew this person, this coach who ran a facility and he was boasting on his social media pages about how one of his clients got fat again, which is terrible language, by the way. Shouldn't say that. Got fat again after leaving him. So I was like, that's, so that was like, cool. You're boasting about how badly you failed your client. Like that's <laughs> a terrible way to, it's not like, oh, you got your clients lose weight. Anyone's clients can lose weight. Weight watchers works. There's tons of tools. Um, that work. It's more about did that client actually undergo a transformation? And no, they didn't. So in essence, my transformation is it's not what happens at the end of day tw- week 12. It's what happens one year's time. Are they actually a different person? Excellent. So now that we understand what that is or, or what your definition of it is, um, is this something that anyone can become an expert at, at executing? Yes. Uh, with uh, the principles that I put it down into, one of my things is I, I get a couple of black from a bunch of people for putting down methods a lot of the time. Uh, and I don't ever really actually put down the method. I put down the context in which the method is applied. So I use principles because principles are timeless and forever. Um, everyone knows that kind of cliched quote, but anyone, when they understand these principles, what they can do is they can take the pre-existing methods they know, apply it into a principle-based framework, and get better outcomes with their clients and know what things to do at the right time. So it's not something that is like, it's not rocket science. It's not understanding pharmacokinetics of how, how, you know, ionic exchange of amino acids or anything like that. It's very simple ways to train your client, to help them with nutrition and to communicate with them that help them get the lasting change. Excellent. So what would be the roadmap to the roadmap rather? To client transformation expertise, what are they? What is somebody looking at um, understanding for that? Cool, easy. So this is this is a question that has a long answer, but we'll break it down into sections so it's sure. easy to understand breakdown. And you know, if anyone's listening to it, just remember there's three things, and there's three components to each of the three things. So there's nine separate things we need to break down. And once you got that, it's they all fit together as well, so it becomes quite easy. As soon as you ingrain them, it's kind of like, it'll make sense. So uh, the first thing is obviously the lifting of the weights, the training, right? So we need to make sure training happens for a client transformation. The training is based on three principles. Uh, I'll say them all, and then we'll cover them all in a little bit of detail. Uh, the first one is really, really basic tool. It's uh, use the right tool for the job. The second principle is move well to move often. And the third principle is to individualize. So let's break those down. Uh, using the right tool for the job is really like in essence, like probably the most important principle that goes through nutrition and mindset too. Like what's the right tool for the job? So if we use it for mindset, a lot of trainers love the David Goggins, Jocko, Jocko, like more high intensity motivation type stuff, right? 
Love it. Yeah. Uh, love pushing hard because they personally, they resonate with it and they work like that. That stuff's all good. But for a client who's just come into the gym for their first workout, getting them run to their toenails fall off is a terrible mindset approach. Okay. Pushing through pain. They need to have more of a compassionate approach. So we can really use the right tool for the job with everything we learn and apply it. So basically from programming, we think of, all right, cool. What's the right tool for the job for each goal? So we go through the most common goals, uh, fat loss. Anything that creates a metabolic demand that a client can stick to is the right tool for the job because for pure fat loss clients, we don't need to get down to the nitty gritty of the nitty gritty minutia of building muscle, uh, getting strong as possible. So we don't need percentage based loading. We don't need to master RPE and reps in reserve. And we don't need to worry about training the lengthened, shortened and mid range position of a muscle. They need to get moving and enjoy it. Okay. The right tool for the job is a calorie deficit that they can adhere to. So really the right tool for the job for most fat loss clients at a beginner level is adherence. Um, there's one more, I should have mentioned this earlier, but there's one more set of principles that I apply to this that allows you to then zero in all of these principles with a bit more detail. It's my client level system. It's clients can be a level one, two, or three. A level one client is a beginner. They've never trained before. Um, have you watched Mean Girls, the movie? Yes. <laughs> Yep. Cool. So you remember when, um, uh, Rachel McAdams character of, I don't know which character it was, but they were like, is butter a carb? They don't know what butter, butter is a fat, obviously. Right. They, they have no idea <laughs> yeah. nutrition or eating those bars. That's a level one client. They don't know because they're not educated in that realm yet. Um, which is okay because generally level one clients have other jobs where they make money so they can pay us. So they're doing awesome in other areas. They just haven't learned that yet. Yeah. Uh, so level one client, they're kind of like beginners, basic. Um, level two clients are people who go to the gym on a regular basis. It's a habit. It's ingrained in them. They could probably follow macros. They could benefit from a specific training approach. And a level three client is generally where fitness is one of their top three priorities in life. Like they might want to do a photo shoot, get on stage, compete in sport or powerlift, for example. It's really, really important to them. So they can do higher level training. So whenever I look at a method, a tool, or whatever it is, I go, is it for my level ones, twos, or threes? So then when you use the right tool for the job, for fat loss, for example, a level one fat loss is more like, you know, do they enjoy it? Can they do it frequently? For a level three client, they might be doing like high-intensity interval training uh, or a lactic work, like so many tools you can provide. It's The list becomes limitless. You just get have a framework to now choose what's ideal. So for right tool for the job, back to that, we go to hypertrophy. Uh, is basically what tools allow you to have the most muscle damage with the minimal joint stress uh, based in the framework of a program. So I'm training a bodybuilder now. He's prepping me for a show. I'm prepping him for a show, sorry, not the other way around. And he's quizzing me because he's like, I've got no compounds in my program. And he's, and he's like, it's weird. I've never done no compounds before, but I feel great. I was like, Interesting. Um, I'm not, not against compounds, just the right tool for the job because he's training six days a week and he's in a pretty good de- deficit, right? If I gave him heavy deadlifts, heavy squats, heavy benches, heavy overhead presses, he would struggle to recover. He would be gassed. Um, he'd be sore because he's, so I'm giving him a lot of machine based work and isolation based work. He's like, yeah, my muscles are gassed, but I've got no joint pain and I feel good even though I'm in a deficit, which is rare for him. So that's the right tool for the job. If I had a, Fat loss client who had three days a week, cool. Compounds for hyper, uh, sorry, hypertrophy client, pardon me. Compounds. Uh, cool. I need to target as much muscle as I can in a short period of time frame. I will deadlift. Um, so that 
principle of hypertrophy, you look at what's optimal and then what's logis- what fits in logistics, and then you just marry the two. You find a middle ground. Uh, next goal that most people have is stre- strength. Cool. Easiest way to program your strength and use the right tool for the job is to use the training methods that will help the client demonstrate the strength how they like. So they want to have a stronger bench and deadlift. Guess what you do? You do bench and dead. If they want to do a muscle up, you use calisthenics. Uh, it's basically however the client wants their strength to be demonstrated to the world is how you train for that. And then the last goal for right tool for the job, this one takes a little longer. I actually gave a presentation at a interstate seminar last weekend on it. And this part of the topic went for 90 minutes, but we nice. won't do that today. I promise. Um, was the next sort of people have is feel better, which is a combination of they want don't want to get gas going up and down the stairs and chasing their kids, and they don't want to be in pain. Like it's simple as that. Like we could say it's mobility. No one, very few clients go into the gym saying, you know, what? I crave mobility and a lower resting heart rate. They want to feel better. So for mobility, it's basically mobilize and stabilize whatever needs mobility or stability. You help them move and or you know, so they got painful knees, whatever they need to do to get out of that painful knee situation. And then if they're out of breath and out of gas, we basically give the cardio prescription based on metrics. So if someone has a resting heart rate of, say, 90, we're probably not going to give them high-intensity interval training because going upstairs is high-intensity intervals for them. We might do low-intensity steady-state work or just even steps as a prescription to help that client get their goal. If someone wants to feel better while playing basketball, for example, they're a weekend warrior, uh, they've got a low resting heart rate. We might give them some interval training to help them deal with the stresses of that sport and demands. So right tool for the job for those four goals. Next. So for that, basically what that does, it doesn't rule out anything really. Like any trainer can use what they already have and look at, all right, cool. These are the tools I have. Like even if you're in a park with kettlebells and that TRX, for example, we know that's probably not the best thing for hypertrophy. You can't load it as much but you can change the programming metrics to get muscle gain if a client wants that. So it's more about just working out what the goal needs and what's the best tool within the framework and logistics of what we have. So the second principle, sorry, that one goes on a bit, is move well to move often. So use some form of movement screening to work out, you know, what your client can do in the gym without problems, what they need to do to get better and what they can't do yet. It's really, really simple. I teach all my students a framework which I developed, which is kind of a touch inspired by the functional movement screen, but it helps clients, the trainer, it's basically an algorithm that helps the trainer identify exactly what a client needs to do and then how to train it immediately after in the gym to consolidate the new mobility, stability improvements. So it's a time-effective way of doing it. That's uh, basically an AI that you don't have to think about. You just tick the boxes and it kind of follow your own adventure and it's like, oh, you need to do glue work. So that's really cool. But again, that's one method. That's a method, not a principle. Moving well is a principle. So, you know, Pilates instructors can do it. Yoga can do it. It applies across the board, really. And the third principle of training is individualize. So individuality is something that I I laugh a little bit about. Um, Every trainer preaches that they individualize their clients' programs yet they push everyone to be able to do barbell back squats, barbell deadlifts, and bench presses. So it's not like a thing that we that 
is so so needs to be so nuanced and so specific unless you're like getting like a high level competitor in a sport where they may need something very very specific like there's a thing in bodybuilding training now to focus on training for different portions of the lats like the iliac portion of the lats versus the lumbar versus the thoracic it's not relevant for our clients right it's not the right tool for the job for individuality we need three things for most clients we need to individualize their warm up based on either their movement restrictions or the demands of the workout. So for a hypertrophy workout, you don't go for a jog. You might do some warm-up sets, and that might be it. For a strength workout, you might do some great force development stuff, like some jumps and stuff like that to get their nervous system happening. For a, you know, you just pick something that's specific. Or you do movements that will help them restore their movement capacity that we found, that you found from their previous movement screen to get them moving well. And then after that, it's just warm-up specific to the workout. You'll individualize exercise selection, but individual to the individual and the goal. So what I mean by that, if someone doesn't have, you're doing a hip dominant day, they don't have the ability to do a full deadlift, cool, you don't do a full deadlift. You do a Romanian, you do a trap bar, you do a kettlebell. Uh, it's what can the individual do? If someone can't squat, who cares? They don't get bigger legs, put them weight press. Like it's not going to, it's going to kill them. Uh, some people may have bony abnormalities that stop them from doing that. So we'll put them on a leg press and they can still train their quads all day long. It's all good. So individualized exercise selection based on the individual and then the outcome as well. So, you know, if you're going to do bodybuilding, for example, maybe instead of a barbell curl because they're straining the elbows, if they've got sore elbows, you might do cable work. So they've got freedom of movement. And then finally, individualized volume. But that's been talked about a lot by guys called Renaissance Periodization. Uh, for most general pop clients, you don't really need to worry about the volume too much. You don't, doing complicated formulas to get there. It's just look at how well they're recovering. And if they're doing okay, cool. Keep it the same. If they're progressing, if they're starting to plateau, you might do a little more. If they're feeling good, if they're plateauing and they feel a bit crap, you do a little less. But individualization of volume is really that simple. So that's the training principles. It's uh, right tool for the job, move well to move often and then individualize. So for most trainers, we get that, we can do that. That's that's our bread and butter, okay? Once you understand those principles, it's like a, cool, it makes a lot of sense. From here, then we need to go into the stuff that leads to the lasting transformation, and that is nutrition and then mindset. So in nutrition, the first principle I have is, it sounds philosophical, is no dogma. So what I mean by that is nutrition is not and should not be a belief system. Okay. So, you know, what's the joke? Uh, how, what problem does a vegan paleo crossfitter have? Telling you what they are first. Okay. <laughs> are they vegan? <laughs> are they paleo? Are they a crossfitter? Because they literally yeah. identify, oh, I'm a vegan. Like coming up to someone saying, oh, I'm a Christian. No, I'm a vegan. Well, your veganism is not your belief system. Uh, it's just how you eat, which is okay. No, there's no problems with that. So with nutrition, no dogma, it basically means this from a trainer's perspective. We respect what the client wants to do first. We don't put our own pre-existing beliefs and concepts about nutrition and shove them down our client's throat because adherence goes to hell. So I work with a ton of vegans, for example. I work with paleo, I work with keto eaters, I work with you know, crazy high-carb dieters. Um, like I go uh, top, he's going for top 30 in the world, Ironman triathlon. He's eating more carbs than you can imagine. Um, it basically, we don't have a dogma 
But with that being said, we also want to protect our clients from their own dogmas, their own beliefs about nutrition. So if we have a client who's actively harming themselves, they're not try- they're not hurting themselves like physically, but their nutritional system is actually hurting them. We need to help them, uh, you know, kind of escape from that framework. So that's a pretty like it's a simple system, but what it does it simple simple principle, pardon me. But what it does it forces you to evaluate how you coach your nutrition. Are you getting everyone on the account macros, for example? Are you getting everyone to use the precision nutrition hand portion sizes? Which they're all great tools, but there's still a bit of a belief system to that. So we work on client first. Uh, the next principle is client centric or client centered. So it kind of follows in a little bit from the first principle, no dogma. But basically what I mean by client centered is the client is the driving force behind the nutritional changes. The level system helps here really well. So a level one client, you know, they, they butter is a carb, blah, blah, blah. They don't really know how to eat from like a fitness and health perspective. They might have an altered relationship with food. They might have a lot of stuff going on. They might be busy, time poor, whatever it may be. That's okay. We need to come up with changes or we need to facilitate them coming up with changes that are slightly better. So these clients may come to us and I'll use a common example, our beer. Uh, they may be drinking a lot of beer. So we may look at their food journal, get them to do that. That's the best tool for the job in that one. And uh, cool. Oh, you're drinking 15 beers a night. It's not uncommon. Okay. In Australia, it's certainly not uncommon to have someone drinking 15 beers a night. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of this country. So with, Australia, uh, with that, if someone's drinking 15 beers a night, right? Um, they come there and train up. They get the food journal. They want to get in shape. They're excited. They want to impress us. Okay. Cause they've looked up to us. We're like the pinnacle of health and fitness in their eyes, blah, blah, blah. Cool. Paul, I'm going to cut out alcohol totally. I'm going to cut out cold turkey. 15 beers a week, uh, night gone, which is, you know, what, 30, 60, 90, about 105 beers a week. From zero, 105 to zero. That's a stupid idea <laughs> because what happens there, if a client, and this will tie into our second mindset principle. Okay. Um, it all comes back around in a circle here, second or third. Um, they'll probably fail realistically, right? Like the client has given us the goal and the outcome, but they're probably going to fail. Our job as a trainer is to help them negotiate a middle ground. Oh, that sounds really good that you want to do that. Steve, we'll call that, we'll call the guy Steve. Um, do you think that's totally realistic that you can go from zip, from 105 to zero? What, what, what are you going to do if you slip up? And most people will have a moment where they slip up, they'll just go screw it. They'll throw it, caution to the wind and they'll binge again, right? So the client guides the process and picks what they think they can do. Our job is to make sure it hits the middle if they're trying to impress us. If it's the other way around, uh, and the client makes a small change that we don't think is significant enough, we need to also validate them and honor that and respect what they say. So I had a client who was drinking. I'm not even kidding you. I've got some sparkling water here. You can see how much is in that. It's about a glass or so. She was drinking one glass of water a day. No coffee, wow. no tea, one, t- one tea, but one glass of water a day. She was wondering why she was like brain foggy and couldn't focus and concentrate and remember and was sore all the time. And, I spoke to her, I did a one-on-one sit-down consult. I'm like, so just just talking to her about stuff. And I'm like, cool, so you're drinking one glass of water a day. What do you think you could do better? And she's like, I could probably go for two, three. 
uh, maybe I can get a bottle and fill it up and try and finish it for a day. And the bottle she had was a 600 ml bottle of water. Is it an improvement? Yeah. But is it optimal? Hell no. But what happened? She did that the next day and she found it pretty easy. So guess what she did two days later? She was drinking two liters of water. I didn't actually do any coaching. I just facilitated her doing a little bit better. I sat there, gave her the space, just listened. You can do this online too. It's very easy to do. Um, you can do it via Zoom. You can even do it via text messaging. Um, I do a lot of coaching by chat. It's great because you can also measure and temper your responses and you don't react. Um, because <laughs> sometimes people say stuff and you want to slap yourself in the face, but it's always yep. better to take a moment and breathe. Within two days, she was drinking, you know, two, two plus liters of water a day. And she's like, wow, my energy is great. I feel amazing. I've lost a kilo and uh, she's not eating as much, not because of the water intake. And she's like, is it really normal to pee five times a day? And I'm like, yep, very much so. Uh, five to seven is pretty much ideal for most people, right? And she's like, oh my God, my life's different. And her work performance has improved. Uh, her, she's now, again, I didn't do a single thing here except let her talk about more water. She's now measuring her calories, like counting her calories, tracking her steps every day, submitting her cardio, and doing all these other behaviors because she was in charge of the process. So she developed autonomy, intrinsic motivation, and mastery. So cool. Putting the client in charge some of the times allows them to develop all those qualities of motivation. So super, super powerful stuff. If you just let your clients make some decisions, the other thing is they think you're smarter and they think you're a better coach because they're like, Oh my God, I could never do this before. Now, now I'm doing this. Um, yeah, you're amazing. Thank you so much. And really you just sat there like, you know, going, what do you think you could do? So it's really cool. And then the third principle is habit based and sustainable. So with that, I like, um, all my habit stuff to be done. Uh, all my clients to have base their stuff on habits first rather than, you know, worrying about uh, tracking macros and all that kind of stuff. I want to have a good foundation in there. And I use two approaches to coach it. I use habit staggering and habit stacking. So I'll just quickly touch on them. Staggering is easy. Week one, drink more water. Drink week two, drink, eat more protein with every meal. Week three, eat plants with every meal. That's a really cool approach for online and in-person trainers to put into their program. It's really cool because it becomes really simple. It's really easy to manage. And what you can do is you can literally create accountability within your training programs, within a Facebook, like in your app that you use, for example, through a Facebook group, through a message group, um, and you can get people starting the challenge at the same time. So it's really easy to manage. Um, with the advantage of that too is if someone got changes their habits and they've gone from drinking no water to eight glasses, two liters a day, or you guys don't use liters, half a gallon a day, um, to you know, having protein with every meal, to having veggies much more frequently, to then you know having a regular sleep-wake cycle. Over a period of 12 weeks, they're going to change their body composition dramatically without really focusing on it, which is really cool for testimonials. And then you can then go into macro tracking or something more structured because they feel so confident. Yeah. The other one, habit stacking, is teaching clients to get more out of less. So this is a little bit more individualizing the coaching, but you can also use, you can gamify this. So gamification is basically making a game out of everything. People love games. We're all kids at heart. We're all childish. I'm super childish. I gamify everything I do because a lot of the time I won't do it, but I don't make it fun. Um, we use habit stacking to basically get more done in less time. So every person in the world, well, not every person, every sane person in the world gets up and makes coffee. Okay. Uh, in Australia, we're coffee snobs. 
we're coffee freaks. Um, we always complain about American coffee when we go there. We're annoying. <laughs> but when everyone gets up and has coffee, right? Cool. What do you do while you sit there and you wait for the kettle to boil the machine to work? Because in Australia, we don't generally have drip machines. I think they're amazing, by the way, but we don't really use them too much. Um, but while we're waiting for the coffee to boil or whatever we need to do, simple habit stack is to have a glass of water with that. Because you're addressing hydration concern, you're doing something that's health-promoting. The second habit stack to that would be take your morning supplementation, like a multivitamin, omega-3, uh, whatever you may have recommended by your dietitian or whoever's working with it. And, you know, do that comp- positive behavior. So with the habit stacking, it's like how many things can you stack on top of the things that you normally do? Like if you go for a walk, listen to a podcast. If you, there's so many things that you can do in the habit stack that make multiple health facing behaviors happen effortlessly over time. So it becomes a really habit stack. You get home from work, you package in gear. Like there's so many different things that the clients can do and you gamify it and you can literally make a competition amongst your clients to see who can come up with the coolest uh, list of habit stacks. And then all of a sudden they're knocking off 10 positive health promoting things per day. I quite like the habit stacks to be based around my uh, the habits I want to stagger as well. Okay, so if someone's going to do a mindfulness practice, that's a habit I like people to cultivate. And it doesn't have to be meditation. I don't, don't have any, again, no dogma, just something where they get to have a little bit of me time. Cultivate that with going outside and getting some sun exposure. Obviously not four hours in the sun burning, um, but you know, a little bit of sun exposure for vitamin D. Habits like that. Have that with a glass of water. So there's so many ways you can do that. So the habit based and sustainable allows the clients to do it for a long, long time and to, to take advantage of the fact that most of our you know, behavior is subconsciously driven. So that is nutrition. If you follow those three principles, so no dogma, uh, client-centered and habit-based, it leads to a longer-lasting transformation because it's not just uh, relying on someone's willpower anymore. Most challenges, like 75 hard, for example, which I would recommend for a level three client, someone who's hard, a bit more into it, 75 hard is a, you know, is a great example of willpower. You, are you familiar with the challenge? Yeah, I've seen several people do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, how many people have you seen successfully complete it the first go? None. <laughs> exactly. Cause it's, it's all based on willpower, like 75 days of following a diet, no alcohol, working out two times a day, one of those outside reading a book every day. There's, it's not really a habit based program. It's a, how much can I endure? Okay. So that's something for the Kobe Bryant type people, the Jockos, David Goggins, et cetera. It's a great thing. If you can handle it, but you need to be a level three client to get there because it's not habit based. If it is habit based, you're then going to become a monster. That's a, that's how a professional athlete lives. So the final thing about the client transformation now is we've kind of addressed the training. It's that's the simplest part. The nutrition is actually once you've got the idea around it, it's really really simple because your clients guide it. So it's then no one likes to be told what to do forever. It's why we grow up. It's not why we grow up. Biology dictates that. But it's one of the advantages of growing up. We get to determine what we do each day. You know, we don't have to listen to our mum and dad tell us what to do. We just wait for our bosses to tell us what to do and then let our kids tell us what to do and we lose our independence that way. But still, that's another segue. <laughs> um, with mindset, that's like the final step of the transformation, the total transformation, because it changes who the person is over the long term. And we don't need to do anything radical here. Like we don't need to 
you know, turn someone into reading self-help books and walking across coals and stuff like that. They don't, hot coals, they don't need to do anything like that. There's three simple things that will allow someone to transform their physical self, their, um, their physiology and their mental emotional self very, very profoundly. And the first one is to actually do with how we coach them. And it's the biopsychosocial model of coaching. So what this is, it's basically a model of coaching, uh, that was invented or model of pain management, pardon me. Sorry, I think it originated in the 60s or 70s. I can't recall right this moment. But it basically states that pain is interaction of biofactors, so biological, biomechanical, psychological factors, and so, so social factors. So sociology, uh, environment, how we're brought up, et cetera, our social group, our peers. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. There's, it's very all-encompassing, right? So what we need to be aware of when we're communicating is the impact of our words on someone's psychology and social factors as well. So we see this a lot with trainers. They'll make a mistake where, oh, you've got tight hamstrings. If you're deadlift, you're going to blow your spine out. Oh, if you lift the weight like that, you're going to break. Oh, if you eat that gluten, you know, your stomach's going to explode and you're going to get Crohn's disease and die a horrible bowel and quick to death. Uh, there's <laughs> a lot of catastrophization, okay, Yeah. Uh, that trainers have when they do stuff. And that catastrophization creates pain avoid. It creates movement avoidance. It creates a uh, hyper awareness of pain. And the reason why I put it first is because our, it's more not being so much we're trying to avoid clients and getting into pain ever. Generally, if you train hard, you will experience pain at some point in your life. And it's a pretty normal thing. Uh, you know, you push the boundary, you'll hit a risk at some point. Uh, it's helping clients. I think most clients need to be told that pain will probably happen at some point and it's okay. It's just an, it's a natural thing. It's just like aging and the skin getting wrinkles. It does happen, but we can manage it and improve it. Absolutely. And move out of it. But it, it's more making us aware of the impact of our words and how powerful they are with clients. There was a number of years ago, uh, where, um, do you remember the strength coach, Charles Poliquin? I don't think so. So Poliquin, uh, very, uh, successful strength coach, like five, oh, no, not 500, sorry, over a hundred Olympic medalists that he coached. So very, very successful in the strength and conditioning world. He got into coaching personal trainers because it obviously it makes bank, right? It makes a lot of money when you've got that kind of resume. And he did a lot of stuff like demonized cardio, that cardio is bad for you and made some pretty outlandish claims that cardio would cause heart attacks and stuff like that. Like some pretty. Yeah terrible things and that eating gluten would cause inflammation. You never lose stomach fat. Carbs would kill you if you're over 10% body fat. Like some pretty ridiculous stuff. Great strength <laughs> coach, but some of these statements were crazy. And a lot of trainers, particularly in Australia, he was like huge hit, right? So we had trainers all over the world, uh, all over Australia, the country, but all over the world too, talk, writing articles about how cardio is going to make you fat, stopping their cardio clients and doing cardio. And like I was one of them. Uh, very okay to admit that. And I got clients now who are still like, a, uh, still think cardio is going to cause them problems. So they've heard it once from an expert and they think it's going to cause problems. And my retention is really, yeah. really good. I've had clients for 19 years. Uh, and it's still trying to get them to undo some of the stuff that I did in the past, which wasn't great is an absolute pain now. So your words have meaning. That's the most basically powerful thing that. Uh, the bico psychosocial for the client's mindset transformation. So we basically take ourselves and people, coaches who are going, Oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. Whatever it is. You're not doing this well. 
to being more of an empowering type coach. Cool, you're doing really well. Your form's improving. Uh, you're doing better than your diet. It's more like giving people the confidence to succeed rather than making them fearful of things that they should avoid. Uh, one example would be uh, the deadlift example I talked about. Oh, your tight hamstrings are you know, going to affect your starting position. You'll herniate a disc. That's one way to say it. The other way to say it is, cool, oh, I've noticed your hamstrings are a bit stiff. If we get them mobilized a little bit, get a little bit more length in that tissue, you're going to be able to get in that starting position so much better, find it easier, and we're going to progress so much faster. How does that sound? It's positive, it's encouraging, it's supportive, and it actually someone will be more motivated to do something like to get better performance out of the gym than they are to do an exercise to avoid an, exercise, uh, an injury that they may not even get. Okay, There's no risk to you to herniate your disc. All that does is just say, oh, yeah, I'm just not going to do deadlifts. That sounds much easier <laughs> when deadlifts have got a lot of benefits for the client. So that's the first one, first mindset principle. The second one is these two can go back and forth, but uh, the second one we'll say is the client's relationship with food. Okay, Relationship with food, I put it in mindset rather than nutrition because it it's more about stress management, emotional management, and dealing with emotional needs rather than the actual food itself. So this is where clients put emotional and moral, sorry, not emotional, moral values on food, i.e. it's good or bad, uh, and they beat themselves up for eating bad foods. If you know, uh, they use food to deal with stress, for example, or alcohol, or for alcohol in the year too, um, they use food as an emotional crutch. Oh, I'm upset, I'm going to eat a liter of ice cream. Uh, all that kind of stuff that we see. And with that, you can survive a 12 week challenge based on willpower. You can't do 75 hard based on willpower most of the time, but you can get through a transformation challenge type thing based on willpower. But if your relationship with food is not addressed, as soon as the proverbial poop hits the fan, they're going to lose their progress because, sorry, Siri, uh, they're going to lose their progress because you know, their relationship with food sucks. They're using food to deal with stress. So basically, it's we're not therapists, we're not counselors, we're not psychologists. We may be trained in it, but generally most personal trainers aren't. And even though we feel like it half the time, uh, yeah. but it's facilitating our clients to recognize that, yeah, they use food as a stress management tool, as an emotional tool, as a any some way to deal with problems and give them alternative options. We're not you know, trying to solve the deeper issues that are underlining that because a lot of that comes from childhood uh, that we can't really, we can't go back and do that. But it's not, we don't have time. We've got to teach a squat, right? Um, but making clients aware of that is really, really cool. And again, use the client-centered approach to let the client pick a new stress management strategy. So for our trainers who are listening and going to watch this, how do we do this in real life? We use a food journal. It helps with the client-centered approach. It helps with identifying your relationship with food. So if you're looking at someone's food journal for a week, for example, oh, Monday's good, Tuesday's good, Wednesday's good, Thursday, whoa, what happened here? You ate 17,000 calories in 20 minutes. Um, what happened? You can literally look at the food journal and go, what happened at this time? Uh, you can do it with MyFitnessPal and tracking apps too, but generally writing it down is a little bit easier because most clients at this point are going to be level one. Um, you go, what happened here? Oh, I had a really crappy day at work. I was really stressed. My boss yelled at me and then I got home and I had a fight with my spouse and life sucked and then I dropped the glass and that was all over. So I ate all the ice cream. Cool. So <laughs> you use food to deal with stress. Yes. Okay. 
do you see how that could be problematic? Um, and they'll generally will. And then they, I will, I'll do is ask them, is this something that you do as a, is this a regular occurrence? What I also do is I say that I keep in mind the biopsychosocial model. I say, this is something that, you know, everyone's done it, which we're going to talk about in self-compassion. I've done it. Um, I've been stressed out. I've eaten ice cream to deal with stress or drunk. It's to say it's everyone. So it's not a bad thing. Is this a pattern that you recognize? Yes. Cool. Um, is this something you would like to change? Most people will say yes. Okay. The only situation things that you'll get to the exceptions of the rule will be more addictive type substances like cigarettes, for example, are uh, a really big one, particularly, yeah. um, well, not as much here anymore, but they used to be. Because cigarettes provide a lot of value for clients. Like it's a stress management to if someone smokes. It's a way to get like literally 10 more breaks a day at work in Australia. So, um, you know, <laughs> I just have a smoke break. It's like, I can't, uh, I, if I worked in a job and someone else is having smoke breaks, I would take them too, but I just wouldn't smoke. I just stand there. It's a great way to skip work. Call it a social media break, but it's having the clients, um, basically recognize that, that their relationship with food and they're using it as a crutch. Mindfulness is the first step to then, them solving the problem and then simply applying more strategies that they could actually then use. And then the final principle, and this one is the one that I talk, I talk a lot about this to a lot of coaches and I talk about this to MMA coaches and jujitsu guys and these hardcore dudes with neck tattoos and stuff like that. And they look at me like I'm like a literally just swallow two tabs of mescaline. It's self-compassion. And self-compassion sounds like it's this like, give yourself a hug, everything's okay type topic, but really it's not that at all. It's a framework from which you can basically get up off the ground if you've beaten yourself up. So basically it's got three components. Uh, mindfulness, so be aware of what you're doing to yourself. Pretty simple. Uh, very hard in practice. But being aware, like say you're having a bad relationship with food, you go, you're, oh, I'm so stressed out. I'm, I'm eating my feelings again. Okay. So mindfulness is the first step to stopping that. Put that down. Next one is, uh, self talk, which is how you speaking in here. And most people speak to everyone else far nicer than they speak to themselves. You, you suck. I can't believe you did that again. You suck. Oh, you failed. I can't believe that. You're so useless. Blah, blah, blah. People are really hard on themselves. Everyone's internal monologue is a, is an asshole basically. And what we want to do is talk, get the people to talk to themselves like they would their best friend. So their best friend basically, um, you know, said, Oh man, I blew my diet last night. I had a liter of ice cream because I was stressed. We would generally say, that's cool. Best friend or their partner, if they've got a healthy relationship. Um, <laughs> we'll say to them, that's cool. It's okay. You just get back on the thing next day. It applies to training. Someone misses a workout. Oh, I failed this week. Uh, it's all a waste of time. Oh, I'm just going to blow out, not go to gym at all. Everyone's had a client who's done that. It's okay. You're right. Let's move on. Uh, it's just one workout. We can skip it. Uh, it's basically, it's being nice to yourself. But the flip side of that is if your best friend or your spouse or whatever keeps on doing that behavior repeatedly, you slap them in the face metaphorically. Okay. So, all right, cool. You, yes, we get it. You had, you had a bad day. You've eaten the liter of ice cream every day. It's time to hold yourself a little bit more accountable. So compassion is, like we always think compassion is just like under unyielding, like ability to just go, it's all okay. If you've got an animal with a broken leg, what do you do? 
out of compassion, you, you put it down. I know that sounds really harsh, but like if a, if a dog or a horse or whatever is sick, um, and they can't be healed, it's, we just, you put them down because it's in their best interest. Um, so compassion is, can sometimes be cruel to be kind, uh, having the best interests at heart. So I know that makes me sound like a horrendous person talking about putting animals down <laughs> on the podcast, but it's like literally, it is literally the same principle there. You sometimes have to, uh, to be, you have to be cruel to be kind. And the last tenet of it is being aware of common humanity. Okay. So common humanity is everyone's gone through the same stuff somewhere. Okay. And it's not very unique to have cheated on a diet or I didn't like the word cheat to have gone off your diet plan. It's not very uncommon for people to miss a workout, for to miss a lift, to eat their feelings. Uh, all these things have happened. And every single person I've ever asked, every trainer, every coach, and I've done this all over the world, I've asked who here's eaten their feelings. And every single person has put eaten or drunk, has put their hand up. Who's ever beat themselves up for missing a workout? Who's ever done this? And I say, <laughs> after I've said that, I was like, did at the time, did you think that you were a total failure and unique? Yeah. That was, the, oh, I'm the only one who's found like a workout program, for example, in jujitsu classes, like martial arts classes. Someone doesn't miss the class, whatever, miss the class ever. They often wonder what everyone else is thinking about them. And oh my God, I'm not going to get my black belt or my new, next belt as fast. And really the people in the club, they know they're not there. And next workout, they come, oh, cool. You're back. Like no one cares. No one's ever cared because they've missed the class before too. So self-compassion is really important as a framework and as a tool for clients to be able to pick themselves back up once they knock themselves down. It's, you know, fall down seven, get up eight. It's that principle. But a lot of people don't know how to do that and don't think that they should do that, which is really scary. Um, I had a client who was messaging me through my training app the other day about how she she gained something like four kilos over a weekend, which is, you know, it's a decent amount of weight to gain, but it was like a perfect storm. She was in the middle of her menstrual cycle. She had a whole bunch of food, like really salty, really hot, salty food that adds weight, really low carb heavy stuff. It was a social event. There was a ton of things on. It was a perfect storm of weight gain and she was beating herself up and horrendously. And I said, all right, cool. I, to help her, I laid down the information there. So, you know, having a menstrual, going through your menstrual cycle, you generally gain water weight, one to two kilos. So we can account for half of it already. Um, eating salty food, heavy carb food, you are going to get excess water retention, alcohol, all these things combined to, that makes sense. Um, of course, it's upsetting. No one likes seeing, unless they're a bodybuilder, no one likes seeing four kilos over a weekend. The bodybuilder generally thinks it's all in their biceps. But what <laughs> happens there is she... Needed to know that it was normal. And then uh, I said to her, the next thing we're going to work, work on is a planning for this. So you can work, be aware that this will happen. If this does happen again and that it's okay. And it'll probably be less than four kilos next time because hopefully it's not during your cycle and actually being able to pick yourself up when we move on after this. So once you see that happening, not to beat yourself up and not go to the gym for the week. And she said, yeah, doing that is one of the hardest things that she can she feels like she's just failed. So she's like, why even bother trying? And the only time you ever really fail is when you stop trying. So when she kind of, when she understood that, she's like, oh, well, you can always lose more weight. Like it's, it's a suck sometimes. Like you have to go into deficit for a bit and work, but you get the pick how you get there. 
Um, she's back on track. She hasn't missed a single workout. Well, Friday now here. She hasn't missed a workout this week. She's cracked at food, which she can do. She's at that level. Um, she wasn't even thinking about her relationship with food. She was just having social events, which is very normal. Um, and she actually had some successes there. She ate less than usual, but she beat herself up for a very long time. So once we got that on track, she's now down uh, the four kilos at offer. She's back to normal. She's back in the gym. She's a happy camper. So self-compassion, even though it's the last principle of the whole thing, it really underlines all the other principles and it becomes this kind of like nice Venn diagram of they can all fit together and it becomes a framework that we can teach trainers that I, I teach trainers all over the, you know, all over the place, uh, because it allows them to use their own skill sets, their own tools, their own methods that I don't know, um, or I'm not aware of yet and to get their clients results in a framework that is long lasting and transformative. And from there, once you've got the kind of foundation of like, you know, you're talking to the client in a way that's not negative and they're not talking to themselves in a negative way from a mindset perspective, uh, they've got a pretty healthy relationship with food. I don't think anyone's ever going to have like the perfect relationship with food. Like it's affections like a unicorn. Everyone knows about it, but no one's ever seen one. And then, uh, a healthy amount of self-compassion. So they can tolerate stresses when, you know, they can tolerate failure and get back up on the horse and keep going. Uh, what's going to happen there is you can then apply all the hardcore mindset stuff. A person on self-compassion will do 75 hard, probably fail, but then go, all right, cool. And they'll be back on it the next day. They'll be able to succeed, uh, for the rest of their life because they'll realize that, uh, like a setback is not a failure. It's just one step forward and then they take another five steps, uh, one step backwards, sorry, and then they take another step, five steps forward. So that's nine, uh, in a very wordy um, conversation, <laughs> that's the nine principles to do a complete client transformation. Excellent. That's, that's a lot to digest, but that's really in depth and extremely valuable. Um, I, I am curious to, to get to like the, the question I think that everyone wants to hear. Yes, that's all well and good. It sounds great. That sounds great. But, you know, how does this affect the bottom line for trainers and for gyms? You had mentioned before that you, I think that you had supported like trainers who were training like over 400 clients. Um, how, yeah. is this, is this going to help them get more testimonials, get more clients and keep those clients longer? Yes. So with the, with this and combined with the client level system, right? Uh, this is what I've found through lots and lots of experience. The most dangerous client time for a trainer to have clients, if it's in a semi-private environment or whatever it is, is when they're a beginner. Because if you screw up their onboarding process, if you beat them up, like working way too hard or they get beat up emotionally and they don't feel good, your chances of retention are very slim. That's the first step. So giving someone the skills to go from a level one to a level two, is really, really important, okay, uh, in terms of someone who's like new to exercise and freaking out versus someone who has it as a habit. Because we've all had those clients who like they train, you know, three times a week religiously. They come and see you. They never disappear, right? But they know what they're doing. Like they can put their weights on and off. You say squats, they're like, cool, back or front. Uh, they're very well clued into it. So once the client gets a bit more knowledge, then their attention goes up. If a client has a decent relationship with food and they feel in control of the relationship, they feel in control of their progress and they're succeeding, so they're getting results, their likelihood of retention increases yet again. 
if you've got more stuff to teach your clients and take them through and they actually develop as a person, they get growth, they stay for a lot longer because they go, oh, wow, this is actually transformative for a lot of areas. What trainers will benefit from the most, in my opinion, is no one cares about how much you know about periodization structures, okay? No one gives a damn. (laughs) no one, no one cares if you do your linear, undulating, conjugate, or whatever it is. No one cares. Um, I've never had a client come. Can you take me through your different periodization structures? Thanks, Paul. Um, they want to feel better in themselves and they want to get an outcome. It's literally an outcome driven business. So if they're getting outcomes and they're recognizing behavioral changes for a long time, it's so powerful for clients, uh, there and it makes you, it develops you into an expert rather than a rep counter. So, with the trainers that I work with and teach, what I do with all of them for their their actual business development as well is I make them an expert in a particular realm, uh, say it's females with endometriosis, whatever it is, and give them the tools for training, nutrition, mindset for that. And you take clients on a, on a journey. So if people have been taken along for a journey uh, and they're developing in all areas, they're getting you know really good results in nutrition, they're transforming their relationship with it, they're getting knowledge about it. They're learning how to train better. They're talking to themselves better. And then they're getting the aforementioned, you know, uh, physique changes that they're after. They're losing weight. They feel better because you're doing the right tool for the job. It becomes a no brainer for them to stay with you. It's basically, it would cost them more to leave <laughs> than it does to actually pay your rates. So like for things with clients that like I have done, I, I'm, I make one sale a day at the moment, which is pretty cool. Um, I do, I do one Instagram post a day, but everyone I get is, um, outreach from referral base because people go, Oh, I've learned this. I've learned this. You need to come learn this off Paul, uh, which is really, really cool. Um, from my perspective, but because, you know, I, I, I have a good business. It's a win. But what happens there is all the trainers who are following the same principle, they're finding the same thing too. They're moving from having to do launches on social media. Where they're actually just signing up two more people a week, which is like for online coaches in particular is amazing because that's 104 a year. If that's a million dollar business in two years, two or three years. Um, it's having that framework and it's that allows the client to grow as a human being as well as just uh, getting stronger keeps retention high. For all the online coaches I work with, this is the structure. They sign up to the trainer from a Facebook ad, which promises all the things in the world and they get a discovery call. It's always a discovery call or something like that. And they get a templated program, which is based around like the goal that they're selling, say it's glutes or like a booty program or whatever it is. And then they get them, the client gets their macros based on their body weight with a little guide on how to use my fitness pal. And every trainer I've worked with, they lose, if they're online in particular, they're losing anywhere between 40 and 60% of these people because the client doesn't have any control over the process. The client doesn't understand what the hell the, the trainer is doing because they're like, is butter a carb? What the hell do I do my chicken raw or weighed? How do I, what? Raw or cooked? What? I don't understand this. Um, chicken breast, it's creates a lot of overwhelm and confusion. My, uh, this principle based practice allows the client to not be confused, to be in control of the process. And one trainer I worked with, he was, um, on about 40 to 50% retention. He's now pulling in $8,000 a week, all online, because he implemented the system very, very simply. Wow. He basically picked a couple of strategies for the level one clients he had, a couple of training programs, 
couple of nutrition delivery systems, one or two mindset videos that he literally wouldn't check in. He would just go, Hey, how'd you go with this? When they mastered all the habits, he's like, and he's got clients. He just keeps them on the habits sometimes because they're like, I'm happy with this. I don't need to do anymore. I, I'm, I'm loving life. Then he then, all right, cool. Level two. Then you're going to do macros and then you're going to do a few other things. And then level three, then we're going to do some more advanced stuff. But he generally keeps people at level two. He's running now 150 or so online clients with retention rate of maybe losing one every six weeks. Wow. Which is a phenomenal, um, phenomenal online business. And in all honesty, I love the guy. He's a good friend, but, uh, He's not the most caring coach in the world either. He, he's like, <laughs> I, I hate checking goals. I hate that shit. That's literally what he says. And, but what he does is because he's got the framework, which he can work in. He just applies the framework really, really quickly. The client answers all the questions for him, which he loves. And yeah. now he's training a virtual assistant to do the same process. So if you get that, the only downside to my process, um, is it needs to be built first. It needs to be understood and built. But then once it's done, it's like a house. You just have to keep cleaning it. Mm-hmm. And you get that. And that's the, in, in my opinion, which you know, there's many others. It's just one of many. But it's one of the most important things you can do to build sustainable online or in-person business that generates referrals rather than having to chase. Absolutely. I mean, that's incredible. $8,000 a week. I think most trainers probably couldn't even dream of that. That They would, they would not even think that was possible. Um, Awesome, dude. Thank it's you so much. Pretty this, cool, man. Yeah. This has been really, really great. This is the, an intense level of value. Where can listeners find you if they want to reach out and um, find out more about what you do? Cool. So the best place to find, uh, probably the social media, um, is a good one. So Instagram, it's Meldrum underscore performance underscore coach, I think. And then, yeah, that's it. And then the next one we have is social media, uh, Facebook, Facebook, just Paul Meldrum. I don't actually know what my TikTok name is. I don't really use it. I just have on <laughs> and um, MeldrumPerformanceCoaching.com. And um, I'm like a 98% now online coach. I keep a few clients in real life in the garage gym just to keep the sword sharp. So I, and I've got all these systems put together. So I work with tons of a clients still, but tons of trainers in building these frameworks into their business. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on. No, pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me.